0: Welcome to the Best of the Left podcast with clips today from Al Franken, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, and the Young Turks.
1: The Al Franken Show. Joining us is uh, Jim Norton. He is a producer for the show and and, uh, been with the show from the very start. Then you took a little absence to write this book.
2: Yep, a little six or seven months off up in Boston, uh, kind of doing
1: some freelance writing, and then uh, yeah, I put together a a book and Saving General Washington: The Right Wing Assault on America's Founding Principles. Yeah, and uh, great review in Kirkus. I love the book. Uh, and, and and today you had an op-ed uh, piece in in the, the Christian Science Monitor. Now, you don't have to be a Christian scientist to do that. You worked at the Christian Science.
2: They're feet. very they're very open-minded. I, I am not in fact a Christian scientist in any way sure. I never or form.
1: understood that.
2: Christian uh, Science. It's 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 a it's a long it's a long story. If we, could, we we can get into the next segment uh, and I'll uh, unpack the whole thing. I heard one joke once.
1: Uh-oh. A guy uh, in, a crowd, in a theater raises his hand and he says, "Is there a Christian scientists in the house?" And someone says, Yeah, I am. Why? He said, Well, uh you want to change seats? I'm I'm sitting in a um in a draft.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> My uncle told me that like fifty years ago. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but that has nothing to do with what you want to talk about today. Very tangential. Uh your your Christian science monitor piece is about uh Guantanamo. Yeah. And and how our our, our um founding fathers would have uh, looked at that
2: yeah i I think one of the things that's gotten lost in the discussion over guantanamo bay is just how fundamentally un-american the situation is down there and the existence of this camp is and uh, one of the things I try to do in my book is go back to the Revolutionary War and say, well, how did this how did this country come together in the first place, and what are the ideas that America uh, was founded
1: on? Because because the right does this all the time. They all, uh, you know, Scalia and those people always talk about original intent. Exactly. Right. And and what was the uh, you know original intent in uh, things like uh, like habeas corpus and so well habeas corpus isn't actually part of the constitution is it but it's right it's, it's really become codified in the, okay. in the years since but yeah
2: uh i mean that that's exactly right you want to go back and these were values that served the country you know very very well for a very long time so i think and <laughs> i <laughs> yeah, think when you start floundering and looking for for guidance it's a, it's a good place to start and what was interesting in doing the research uh, on this book is just how how really how decently uh, the founding fathers, Washington and Hamilton, and the other ones who were uh, Aaron Burr, who were actually serving in combat.
1: Uh, but were, these guys had a war. They had a war. It was called the what the, was guy called, called? The Revolutionary War. Often
2: called the Revolutionary War. War of
1: Independence. The War of in Independence. Yes, I remember that. That's that, in, in history.
2: And they were uh, they were very careful about not not mistreating British prisoners. They made a point of it. They made uh, it was it was really kind of a point of pride, and it was smart. Uh, as, as a pragmatic policy, because you wanted to keep the public opinion on your side. You wanted to take the moral high ground. You wanted to wear out the British giant. And one way to do that is to act decently, act well, act admirably, and be something people want to emulate and join up with. Uh, these guys were also, uh, I think, a little afraid that when they got caught by the British, if they mistreated British troops, right. they were going to get you know, abused in kind, in fact, much worse. Uh, in fact, the British did treat
1: us worse than we treated They, they the
2: treated They treated, uh, captured Americans extraordinarily poorly. George Washington, in, in 1775, wrote a letter to his British counterpart, uh, a general named Thomas Gage, and complaining about how American troops who were gravely wounded were being thrown in jails with common criminals and, and not treated. And Washington was saying, look, we've treated your prisoners very well, uh, not only your officers, he wrote, and soldiers have been treated with a tenderness due to fellow citizens and brethren, but even those traitors, uh, he said parasites, basically traitors, whose counsels and aid have deluged their country with blood and have been protected from the fury of a justly enraged people. Uh, Washington's idea was, if you're a prisoner of the Continental Army, you get treated all right. And for a long time, that's been the American norm. In World War II, that worked you know, to our favor to a great extent.
1: Well, I had talked to a uh, uh, West Point... Professor yeah who told me that in World War two uh Nazis would surrender to Americans right uh m- much more gladly than they would uh surrender to other forces uh because in World War one their fathers had been the, their fathers told them, "If you're going to surrender to anyone, surrender right. to the Americans." No, you you had
2: whole whole German units rushing away from the Russians <laughs> <laughs> toward the American lines, hands up, saying, "Please, please you guys capture us because you treat prisoners." But, the,
1: well. the, 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 but also, what happens is if they are in combat with us. And there, there's no Russians around. There's just Americans, but they're outnumbered. Yeah. There's the difference between fighting to the death, right, which in de- which uh, means that we get killed, right, or they surrender. Now
2: John McCain's been really articulate on this point, and it, one of the one of the things about Guantanamo that I think is is really profoundly un-American and would have just uh, cheesed off the founding fathers to know. And is now you're from Wisconsin. I'm from Wisconsin. Okay, so I do I do say cheese. Uh, maybe more often than most people, right. uh, is, is is what an overreach of executive power this is, how this is uh, sort of a throwback to authoritarian leadership like you saw under King George, where the executive says, well, in defiance of any existing laws, I'm going to throw a lot of people in prison and they're going to have no ability to appeal. Uh, the evidence won't be reviewed. Uh, they'll be maltreated because I've loosened restrictions on uh, malt mistreatment of prisoners uh, from the Justice Department. Uh, it's,
1: now, what percent? What, what is the administration policy on charging these people at Guantanamo? It's what's it's their rationale here? What is It's it's excuse?
2: a it's a mess. Uh, it, it,
1: it is is there,
2: there, there's been a lot of there's been some military appeals. There's been some civil appeals. I think the ACLU has been kind of uh, not not civil, but traditional justice system appeals that the ACLU has been
1: uh, taking up. Uh, but few, what, but what does the administration say? They say that these are. Uh, what what what's what do they call them uh, enemy combatants yeah an enemy combatants and that that
2: term sort of d- deprives them of any uh, traditional sort of habeas corpus rights that they would otherwise enjoy if they were you know arrested in the states and they were they were u s citizens mm-hmm. uh, and part of the rationale for this is some of these guys have information that could uh, save American lives or harm American lives if they aren 't uh, deprived of all communication and kind of off sh- shut off in a prison. What that argument misses is that some of these these guys have been in there for three you know three plus years in some cases, and sure for the first week or two after you grab someone off the battlefield
1: <laughs> and you don't know who the guy well, is. Well, how many of these guys were grabbed off the battlefield and how many weren't?
2: Uh, it, it, the National Journal did a fantastic piece mm-hmm. where they kind of went back and using court documents reviewed the status of a lot of these prisoners and found most of them were rounded up by Pakistani bounty hunters mm-hmm. or members
1: That's of That's my body. understanding that yeah. a lot of these guys uh, and or Northern Alliance right uh, found the, a, a, and and got money for every guy they round up so well, if it, you were a taxi driver right from Karachi <laughs> and well, you know you're worth just
2: as much as a Taliban well and, and what better way to settle a score than to turn someone over to the Americans and collect money for it. Oh, that's a good way to settle. That's a great way to settle a score. I, I have not thought of that. It's a big win-win, you know, except for the guy who gets shipped off to to Gitmo. That, that'd be a
4: lose-lose
2: for him. Yeah, right. He's 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 in bad shape at that point. Yeah. Uh, but that that that's that's really one of the most shocking things about this is that it, when you sit down and you review the cases case by case, uh, as as National Journal did. A lot of these guys would be laughed out of any U.S. court. The judges say, how can you possibly justify holding this person? You've got nothing on them. You've got a friend of a friend saying they thought this guy was al-Qaeda.
1: And this damages us. There was just a new Pew study about public opinion around the world about us. And, uh, again, uh, public opinion... Well, I mean, that, that's about the that, world, uh, about the United States, right? Is, and, and, is and and and,
2: and, and that's that's completely right. It's not just that we are, in many cases, completely destroying or even taking innocent lives, which you know I I think we should really, as moral people, be worried about. But from a completely pragmatic, from a completely real politic perspective, uh, America is the America. The American name has been dragged to the mud, and as long as Abu Ghraib and Guantanamo Bay are what people around the world think of when they think of the United States— I mean, that hurts our ability to organize multinational coalitions. That hurts our ability to criticize anybody who does anything on a human rights front. Right. I mean, if, if you're the dictator of whatever, Stan, and you've been torturing people and the U.S. ambassador drops by and says, hey, uh, stop torturing people and, <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and kick, kicking the crap out of them in prison, uh, you just say, well, what about you guys do that? And Abu Ghraib, you understand, you know what it's like to deal with terrorists. You'd, you can't give them rights or, or you die.
1: Well, that's that's a, that's a pretty t-
2: that's a pretty tight argument right now.
1: Okay, well, I'll come back with a better <laughs> argument later. Um, now, now, uh, uh, Bill O'Reilly went down to Guantanamo and made do you have this? Uh, Joel uh, said this.
3: Obviously, the military showed us what they wanted us to see, but again, there's absolutely no evidence that I've seen that says any abuse is taking place at Guantanamo Bay.
1: Now, has he just been? just sort of running around that he's seen. Okay. You yeah, yeah, I may mean, take him
2: very literally. And while Bill O'Reilly was at Guantanamo Bay, no one was being beaten while wearing a hood in the room that he was in. I mean, that's, in a in a very legalistic sense that could be it but you
1: Well saw, you, but I mean evidence that he's seen means that you've read over the last several years no. and it's I was trying to be fair to Bill O'Reilly but why yes. we, why <laughs> would you want to be I mean that's not fair no, well, you I do, say do, there's you, no yeah, evidence
2: no. that I've seen no it's 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 clearly crazy I mean uh, anybody who has taken the time to so much as google search Guantanamo Bay the problem is not finding a piece of evidence that points to abuse. It's sorting through the dozens that come down well,
1: the pipe. Well, you know, you can Google search things and find uh, wrong information. Sure, sure, sure. So the question is, um, I mean, we, we know, for example, that FBI agents right. uh, in, in inter- emails that were uh, gotten through FOIA requests by the ACLU right. describe horrible uh, abuses yeah of, of uh people lying in their feces shackled people put in uh freezing temperatures naked the quran the, the, the quran being handled roughly and and disrespectfully which is a real issue
2: um yeah, you can go to the FBI reports. There's a an analyst at the CIA who talked to Seymour Hersh about his visit there and that was uh, credible and pretty chilling. Here, here's
1: something from the Pentagon. Yeah. That's a now. good source. <laughs> <laughs> uh, eight soldiers have been punished for offensive offenses ranging from humili- uh, humiliating detainees to physical assault. Yeah. Now now uh, that um that's, that's that's good that the Pentagon uh were, were was punishing eight soldiers and that might happen but yeah. that's abuse that's certainly evidence of abuse that's evidence of abuse so, so I, all we're doing here is proving that bill riley's bill o'reilly well I mean, no I, I, but i know I, <laughs> I think i think i think it's more important than that i think i think no the well, most important thing is proving <laughs> that bill o'reilly is bill O'Reilly. i have a
2: secondary slightly less important point which yes. is that this is what this is what people on the right wing have been doing because they can't Lose the political ground and just admit this is terrible. It's un-American. Let's let's fix this problem. They pretend it doesn't exist. And I was, I was reading the American Spectator today, and its executive editor Quinn hillier had a piece called "Resolved: Bush is Right on Iraq." And it was, you know, what you'd expect—the normal cheerleading on Iraq, blah blah blah. But he's got this quote in, it and it's, it's, he's kind of talking and passing, and he says. Uh, Saddam's torture chambers at Abu Ghraib. Real torture, not merely the puerile sexual and cultural embarrassments meted out by a few rogue American soldiers. Mm-hmm. People died at Abu Ghraib. There right. was a guy murdered at Abu Ghraib. Uh, no one's been charged in it, but he was in CIA custody. I remember
1: there. this. This guy was yeah. hooded, he was uh, handcuffed behind his back and hung up. Yeah and and died. He died. Guys died. The, and and that's the, nobody died. You heard Rush say that. <laughs> A direct Rush Limbaugh quote. That's not. Yeah, that's
2: that that, that that's precisely what he said. If nobody died here. What are we talking about? You know, and that's and it's 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 sad that that's the talking point on that side and, and not let's let's clean this mess up so uh you know America looks good and 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 frankly is good on this issue.
1: The sky is yellow and the sun <laughs> is blue. <laughs> to quote Scarlett Benigni and Jerry Garcia, and, uh, I mean it, it, it's um, wow. So, uh, so our founders would be, um, as I as I think I said in the uh, in my blurb for your book, would be spinning in their graves enough to power provide clean right. uh, power for generations of Americans to come. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's it's. Um, Gosh, darn. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we've got to change things. We, we will. Uh, uh, scientists tell us there are, are about 150 days left to the election. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things we, we need to do is uh, put people in charge who are not going to do this kind of thing and reestablish the moral high ground for the United States. It would be nice. And, and which would enhance our power. It would. It would have
2: a lot of good effects, and and one of those good effects would be uh, uh, doing a little less evil in
1: the world. Yeah, that that so. too. <laughs> oh, thanks, Jim. Thanks for being on thanks, our side. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Always always fun. Jim Norton, uh, the book once again is. Uh is, what's it, give me the name of the book. Saving
2: General Washington. <laughs> Sorry. The, uh, no, no worries. The the, the right wing assault there on uh, America's uh,
1: founding principles. Unbelievable review in Kirkus. That was that was very impressive. They were
2: nice to me. Yeah.
1: I I don't get. It. <laughs> and I'm not frank.
2: Yeah.
1: You're Jim Norton. I am just
5: Jim Norton.
6: where we like to ask knowledgeable people about the few things they don't know anything about. (laughs) Author Calvin Trillin is one of Kansas City's most well-known native sons. He has said that he even created his own version of Kansas City so he could raise his children the same way he was raised, which must have been interesting because he really did it in a brownstone in Greenwich Village. (laughs) Calvin Trillin, welcome to Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Thank you. Let's, um, let's talk about Kansas City first of all. Here we are. You've been out in the world for quite some time, having grown up here. What kind of image in the world does Kansas City have? If you say, I'm from Kansas City, people expect you to be what?
4: Well, I find that a lot of people, when I'm uh, talking or something, when the question and answer period comes, say, I'm from Kansas City. They stand up and and I always have to say... A lot of people claim to be from Kansas City <laughs> who aren't, <laughs> uh, just for their prestige.
6: <laughs> sure. you, now, I, I didn't know if I quoted you accurately, of that thing that you said about raising your own kids in New York, that they were raised in, a, in Kansas City in New York. What does that mean, to do that?
4: Well, it's very easy. You just take a white picket fence and you put it around the brownstone.
6: Right.
4: It <laughs> marks it. And you say, this is Kansas City
6: and and within within those confines what rules apply
4: well midwestern rules and the and the sort of course the the motto of the entire midwest which could be on the license plates of all the states is no big deal <laughs>
6: Don't get a big head
7: about it.
4: Right. Uh, don't get too big for your britches. Mm-hmm. Right.
7: You know, I was just—we're in the folly theater here, a form of burlesque house, as I understand it. I wonder if the you... the
4: answer is no, Roy. <laughs> I was never in that.
6: <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> At least he never bought a ticket. He's yeah. willing to go that far. <laughs> um, you, of course, are are the nation's uh, only deadline poet. You regularly write poetry about the news. In fact, I understand you have a new book out, a collection. Your yes. second collection of Bush administration-inspired rhymes.
4: It's called A Heck of a Job.
6: Right. <laughs> Before we go any further, do you, do you, for those who don't know this, this side of you, do you, have a, do you have a sample for us?
4: Well, sure. I could read the title poem, which is called Further Words from George W. Bush After He Said to FEMA Chief Michael Brown, Brownie, you're doing a heck of a job. Mm-hmm. A qualified guy, I wish I had added. Your resume's super, even if padded. We wanted the best to lead FEMA's forces, and who would know more than a man who knows horses? (laughs) You saw that the storm was more than some showers, and sent off a memo in four or five hours. (laughs) You found out the life in the dome was not super and only a day after Anderson Cooper <laughs> a heck of a job you know how to lead him we hope to award you the Medal of Freedom
6: okay so <laughs> I have to ask you they named a new Poet Laureate this week and somehow rejected they rejected again
4: uh, they passed you over I I don't understand. This is something like the 14th time in a row I've been rejected.
6: (laughs) Is this just the elitism of the academy? They don't want their poet laureate to be someone who does accessible stuff?
4: Exactly. I'm glad you said it. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that actress who always uh, just failed to get the
6: you're daytime the Susan solo
7: Lui Lui Lui. You're the no, 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 no. Susan yeah, No, you're not, though, because she finally won.
6: Right. Oh, well. well. I'm not.
4: That'll right. never happen.
6: happen. We, we need an even more iconic loser for you now.
3: Right. That's right.
6: <laughs> <laughs> well, Calvin Trillin, we're pleased to welcome you back to your hometown. We have asked you here, telephonically, to play a game we're calling You're the conscience of the Senate and a high-pressure hose of cash back to West Virginia. (laughs) In other words, you're Democratic Senator Robert Byrd, who this week set a record and became with 47 years in office the longest-serving senator in United States history. Now, we thought we would pay tribute to this great statesman by asking you three questions about him. Get two right, you'll win our prize for one of our listeners, Carl's voice in their home answering machine. So, Corey, who is author Calvin Trillin playing for? Lisa Carew Burden of Kansas City. All right. Here's your first question. Now, it is well known that Robert Byrd was a member of the Ku Klux Klan as a young man. He's a little slip up. He has repeatedly apologized for ever since. But what's less well known is how much his experience in the Klan changed the course of his life. Was it A, that he met and courted his future wife, Irma, for two weeks without ever seeing her with her hood off? (laughs) (laughs) Was it B, by winning election to the office of exalted Cyclops, he realized that he could be an effective politician? C. (laughs) (laughs) Or was it C... A bad asthma attack brought on by a cross-burning made him into a lifelong anti-smoking advocate.
4: I withdraw my, I withdraw my um,
6: I'm, I'm, I'll. Well, I'll say B. You're going to say B, that by winning election to the office of exalted Cyclops of the Ku Klux Klan, he realized that he could be an effective politician. Yeah. You're right. That's exactly what happened. Bird was just a shipyard worker when he realized, via his electoral success in the Klan, that he could convince people to support him. As one of his fellow Klansmen said to him, quote, "You have a talent for leadership, Bob." <laughs> okay, you got one right. That was very good. You sort of you, you can't. I, I
4: never had any doubts about that. No, at not at all.
6: <laughs> now, Mr. Bird, in his many decades in the Senate, become known for his mastery of Senate history and rules, and of course for steering more than one billion dollars of taxpayer money. Back to West Virginia. But he has another remarkable feather in his cap. Is it A, he's issued a CD of himself playing the country fiddle? B, they still call the best player on any West Virginia high school football team the Birdman? Or C, he holds the world record for largest freshwater perch caught with hand tackle? A. A, that he issued a CD of, uh, of himself playing the fiddle? Yeah. You're right, he did. The CD is called U.S. Senator Robert Byrd, Mountain Fiddler. (laughs) You you sounded like you knew that.
4: I'm doing very well. I was educated in Kansas
6: City. There you are. (laughs) Last question. You could go for perfect. Senator Byrd is an accomplished and skilled legislator. In fact, via his mastery of lawmaking, he is personally responsible for which of these things happening. A, each and every federal law enforcement officer in this country now addresses any woman over the age of 15 as ma'am rather than miss. B, cosmetology students in Philadelphia had to spend a day watching lectures by two Supreme Court justices. Or C, Byerly's Cafe in Wheeling, West Virginia, will always be exempt from any anti-smoking ordinance. (laughs)
4: I like to think it's A. I'm not sure it is, but I'm going I'm to vote for that
6: one anyway. You're going to vote for the fact that Robert Byrd, through force of law, now requires that any federal law enforcement officer must address any woman over the age of 15 with the appellation, ma'am.
4: Wow. Even snotty teenagers.
6: I mean, Britney Spears is over 15. I know. <laughs> so that's your choice. Your choice is A. No. The, the answer actually was B, the cosmetology students watching the Supreme Court Justice lectures, and not just them. Because of an amendment, bird slipped into a bill last year. Every single school, no matter what they teach, if they receive federal funding, they must instruct their students on the Constitution on September 17th of each year. That's the document's birthday. Another example found by the New York Times, Irene's Myomassology Institute of Massage in Michigan which quizzed its budding masseurs and masseuses on the Bill of Rights.
7: Oh, just a little lower. Just a little. There you
6: go.
7: Wait, I'm sorry. So cosmetology
6: students are studying the Supreme Court? Yes. Like to give them makeovers or something? No. (laughs) Although that would not be such a bad idea.
4: (laughs) I got that one wrong on purpose because I was brought up to be humble.
6: There you are. (laughs) no big deal. No, (laughs) no big deal. (laughs) Corey, how did Calvin Trillin do on our quiz? Calvin Trillin got two right, meaning Lisa Carew Burden gets Carl Castle's voice on her home answering machine. Very well done. (laughs) Calvin Trillin is a native Kansas Cityan and author most recently of A Heck of a Job. More of the Bush administration in rhyme now at in paperback. Calvin Trillin, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you.
1: a place called princeton university and is columnist uh for a thing called the new york times he joins us by phone from a place called princeton new jersey hi paul hi there you know uh you i think were the if i maybe i'm wrong here but i think you were the first columnist after the president landed on the uss abraham lincoln in his flight suit to sort of say uh, that it was a mistake to land in the flight suit
8: uh uh-huh. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure if I was really the only guy out there, but yeah, I was.
1: I mean, you did it as soon as you could. I remember it was <laughs> the first it, column out.
8: Yeah, it was pretty well. Yeah, I mean, basically, I was saying I, I can't, I can't believe, uh, I can't believe he did that, and I can't believe that people aren't uh, gagging and and uh, and generally, you know, this this is not this was a deeply un-American moment.
1: Right, and I remember you're saying that. I remember going like, "Hmm, he's right," but uh, wow! Um, and you took a lot of heat for this. And I just, do you mind taking a victory lap uh, uh, on our show? I mean,
8: I'm, I'm always out for victory lap.
1: Okay, this is Gleaves Whitney from the National Review, May eighth, two thousand three. He goes more ominously. New York Times columnist Paul Krugman warns that Mr. Bush was breaking an important tradition when he donned the flight suit. That his Top Gun act was scary. That American presidents just don't wear uniforms or military accoutrements. And then the lady goes, that's what galls his detractors. Democrats who distrust the Pentagon, liberals who loathe the military, bush bashers who still can't get over 2000, election 2000, all these types were on the sidelines during a great American moment. They are not at the victory party on the Lincoln. It slays them that this president has come into his own, that he has grown as a leader in the war on terrorism, that his instincts in Iraq were proven right, and that the majority of Americans are behind him. The image on the carrier conveys all that is strong and hopeful and confident in the man.
8: <laughs> yep. Uh, boy, uh, yeah. We tried to generations get... Generations of victory and, and all that. Uh, you know, and the thing was... How I, um, the the business of, you know, being, you're against the troops if you are, you you hate the military if you think that, you know, the president, who didn't actually, among other things, serve in, in, in a war, uh, shouldn't dress up as one of them. Uh, <laughs> amazing stuff.
1: Well, you know, we tried to get Gleaves Whitney to come on and uh, sort of defend what he wrote there, but he we couldn't get him.
8: Um, huh. Yeah. No, it, it, the thing was about you know. Even even then, I mean, even in fact, if you were paying attention, even on Mission Accomplished Day, uh, it was pretty clear that this wasn't you know uh, uh, being able to uh, scatter. A fourth world army uh, is not the same thing as, as success in what they were trying to do. And, well, the whole thing. It's just, it's amazing. Uh, you
1: know, he kind of, in a way, in the last uh, press conference with with uh, Blair, where he said, uh, maybe I shouldn't have said bring it on, and uh, maybe I shouldn't have said want it dead or alive, He's, I think he was kind of addressing this whole thing.
8: Uh, yeah, but it's, you know, Bush's version of an apology is, I'm sorry that you were disturbed by what you thought I said. You know, he never actually says I, I was wrong.
1: Oh, no, 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 no. It sent the wrong message. I've uh, learned a lot about expressing myself in a more sophisticated manner.
8: Yeah, I, I can just, I, I, <laughs> to, to go a little over the line here, I can just uh, imagine that uh, you know, I've, I've, uh uh, husband-and-wife arguments in this White House must be along the lines of, I'm sorry that you feel that way. I mean, this is, this is the kind of person you really don't want as a spouse or as a president.
1: Well, no, but that's a fair thing to say in a spousal argument. I'm sorry you feel that way. Okay, <laughs> well, let's let's not get into our personal lives. Uh, let's get into bushes. No, let's get into... Uh, you wrote a column, the Some Who Argument, Yeah, uh, which is basically about... Um, uh, well, for example, uh, the... Uh, Washington Times said some Democrats uh, call killing, the killing of Zarkawi a stunt.
8: Yeah, and there were in fact uh, no Democrats quoted in the in the article saying that, uh, and
1: uh, and no, no one said it.
8: That's right. No one,
1: no one said it. <laughs> then, More importantly, not even not in, in the article, but just no one said it.
8: That's right. It, this, uh, yeah, so I'm talking back to this wonderful old Russell Baker article from the Vietnam era where some of the same thing happened, where the, uh, uh, there were a lot of denunciations of those who, uh, mm-hmm. uh, as in those who snivel and sneer at, at America. And uh, these days we've got the some, especially some Democrats, and it's this entirely mythical notion of, that there's this large core uh, within the Democratic Party of people who think that America is evil and, uh, and hate the troops. And, um, and it, it's amazing. I mean, it's, of course, it's straw men, but what's amazing is, is how widespread it is. And it's coming even from some Democrats who, uh, who are still trying to stake out their, their position as being more hawkish than, uh, than everybody else.
1: Well, let's go over some of these. The one you brought up that is hilarious is President Bush in 2003 saying, Some say, well, maybe the recession should have been deeper.
8: Yes. <laughs> uh, what, it meant, what he was saying was, you know, there are some people who don't approve of my tax cuts. Uh, and it, the, uh, it, it, it's really pretty vile. I mean, it's saying, you know, if you, if you didn't approve of my tax cuts, it's because you wanted a deeper recession. Whereas those of us who didn't approve of his tax cuts actually said, hey, you know, this is, these are a really lousy recession fighting measure, uh, and, uh, you should be doing something else. And so, but that's, that's actually quite typical. And by the way, that was standard. Um, the, it was not just Bush, but the whole Republican leadership. If you said, "You know, why are you cutting taxes for rich people? Why not put money into the hands of people who actually need it and would actually spend it?" Uh, they say, "Do you actually want a recession?" You know, it's just this. Uh, it, it was so. It wasn't actually. It wasn't actually out of character. But now Bush was, you know, pretending that that there were actually people saying that. Yes.
1: Okay, I want to play a couple uh, uh, tapes of of, of people setting up straw men, one is Bush, and and, and get your reaction to it. This, this is one of my favorites of, uh, of this presidency. Uh, play the Bush right. one.
4: You know, there's a lot of people in the world who don't believe that, uh, uh, that people whose skin color may not be the same as ours can be free, can self-govern. <laughs> I reject that. I reject that strongly. I believe that uh, people who practice the Muslim faith can self-govern. I believe that people whose skins aren't necessarily, or, you know, are a different color than white, can
1: self-govern. Okay, who, who, who says that? Like, for example, ter- Turkey is like a government, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, isn't, aren't we even think, we're br- thinking of bring Turkey into like? The European or we aren't the Europeans are well
8: they're actually uh, the Europeans are having a little trouble deciding whether they can they're really ready to do that.
1: I understand uh, that, but 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 no one is saying this. No one is is saying that people different than our color. And by the way, what color are we? Are Uh, we a color?
8: Yeah, all right. (laughs) Uh, I I can actually find you. I I can find you some quotes of people saying that people who uh, who don't have the same skin color as any rate as you and me uh, can't. But they aren't. But it's mostly actually uh, people from the uh, – I can find you a bunch of articles in the National Review from the 1950s saying that uh, about the U.S. South and why we need to keep Jim Crow. But I can't
1: <laughs> – Okay, yeah, but those are more tend to be right-wing people, yeah, right? Yeah, that's
8: right. I can't – I don't think you can find a uh, – I don't think you can find a Bush Badger who thinks that people with a different skin color can't can't uh, have democracies.
1: Right. Okay, now here's one that uh, Condi Rice said a couple weeks ago, and she's on – uh, she's on uh, Russert, and Russert says, "Well, you know, why do people are the attorney against the war?" And she says, "Well, they're seeing people killed every day," and and he said, "Yeah, but also they're seeing a lot of mistakes that that we've made." And She said, "Well, yeah, we've made you know some mistakes get made on these kind of things, but there were a lot of mistakes we didn't make." And then she she does one of these. There are those who said things, and I want you I want you to uh, hear this and, and react to it.
4: There were those who said uh, the Iraqis will will really never be able to to do this. Let's go in with a huge footprint and do
3: leave nothing to the Iraqis.
8: Oh boy! Oh boy. <laughs> okay, uh, that wasn't yes, right? Uh, that's that's an amazing way to take a a colossal error and, and spin it as uh, that's because we're good people and the people who wanted us to do it right are bad people. Yeah, well, of course, well, you, the point there was. Uh, Experience shows that if you're going to do move in and occupy a place, you want to have a lot of boots on the ground just for security.
1: Now, uh, now, did did you hear anyone like Shinseki or, or Zinni or anybody who was arguing that we should send in a lot of troops, did you hear any of them say that the reason for that was that the Iraqis will never really be able to do this, that we yeah. should leave nothing to the Iraqis? Or did you hear them say... We need this many troops in order to maintain order to seal off the borders et cetera
8: yeah that's a, yeah there this is a complete uh, this is an imaginary foe as usual uh and there was nothing like that uh there you know that I, I um well you know it's great i mean if you if you want to explain what it how it is that we got into this uh or, or why the people who were for this gigantic mistake were actually more right than the people who had the good sense to be against it. You say, well, the people who were against it were against it for discreditable reasons. Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, and that's, that's actually very common right now. As you know, as I wrote in that, the Times a few days ago, the, uh, there's still this view in, in, in Washington that you're not credible on national security unless you were wrong about Iraq.
1: Yeah, in other words, uh, it's a badge of honor to have been wrong.
8: That's right. Uh, it proves, Didn't Chalabi say
1: that?
8: Huh? Uh, I, I, uh, I'm a Chalabi, the man that...
1: Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah. He said a heroic error or something?
8: I think he said we are heroes in error,
1: yes. Heroes in error, yeah. But, but you know what I think this does? I really think this discredits her and discredits them if people are, are just listening. Because for her to make, first of all, she's saying right now, she, she's saying in this quote that we did send enough troops, which is just crazy.
8: Yeah. Well, no, I could interpret it as, well, you know, because we are such good, fine people, uh, we believed that the uh, Iraqis could take care of it and didn't need our help in, in providing initial security. And and
1: No, but there, this was under a list of mistakes they didn't make.
8: Right. Well, yeah, I guess that's right. You're saying that just, it would have been a mistake. It would have been a mistake to have enough troops there to prevent the uh, looting and demolition.
1: That's exactly what she's structure. saying. Yep. That's what she's
8: saying.
1: Oh, well, there we go. Drink a baby down My wind all Leave your things behind Cause it's all going off without you Excuse
6: Don, welcome to our show. Now you're going to start us off with who's Corey this time. Corey Flintoff, filling in for Carl Castle, is going to reenact for you three quotes from the week's news. Of course, if you can correctly identify or explain just two of them, you will win our prize, Carl Castle's voice, on your home answering machine. Sounds good. Doesn't it? All right. Sounds great. Okay, fine. That's more like it. (laughs) Now we can go. Here's your first quote. They should have known he was up to something when Bush told Camp David Guest, I'm going to read. Hmm. (laughs) Now, that was the hotline political newsletter suggesting that President Bush's cabinet should have figured out that he was really going to go where? I would have to say Iraq. Exactly right, yes. There has been so much good news out of Iraq that the president decided to go join the party himself. Of course, the reason it was done in absolute secrecy with massive military protection was just because the president doesn't want to be a bother. They're all watching the World Cup, you know, let them just sneak in. In fact, the new Iraqi prime minister wasn't told who he was going to meet until just before the president walked into the room, hmm. which makes me. wonder, what did he think? Ooh. Prime I Minister didn't. Maliki, when he saw who it was, did he think something like, wait a minute, not even he could get this lost? <laughs> <laughs> or, or did he just like start immediately trying to stuff himself into the president's luggage? <laughs> <laughs> I'm still confused. I'm sorry, was he going over there to borrow a book? I'm confused. He was going, he went, he was no, going no, no. to read. Yeah, he and... told the cabinet, he said, well, I'm going to go read now. Oh, okay. And then he gave him a big <laughs> wink and walked into Marine One and they took him off to the airport. And the next thing you know, they're in the green zone.
7: Yeah, go read now. Most can... people don't, people who do read don't say things like that, do they? <laughs> Supposed to say, I'm going to think I'll curl up a good book. Or something. Yeah, right. I will go read now, <laughs> <laughs> and I will not move my lips.
6: Speaking of going to Iraq, here's your next quote. He has previous jihadi experience and a deep foot in the pool of knowledge. That's how Al Qaeda. In Iraq, announced its new hire, a man who apparently impressed them with his resume. This man will take the place of whom?
4: Uh, the guy who got murdered. Al <laughs> <laughs> Zakahawi.
8: Yeah,
6: say it again? Al Zakahawi? Close enough, yeah. it's Zakahawi. <laughs> ding ding ding. Yeah al zarqawi of course, that 500-pound that bomb may have been bad news for Zarkawi, but it was a career opportunity <laughs> for one Abu Hamza al-Muhajir, also known as Abu Ayub al-Masri. According to al-Qaeda in Iraq websites, this guy is now in charge, now, those, of course, are not his, his real name. We don't know his real name. Those are his nom de gears, or noms de guerre, I guess. Yeah. And they have been translated respectively. The first one as, quote, the guy who was slowest out of the room when we announced the vacancy. <laughs> the, the, the second one, Abu Ayub al Masri, means, quote, he who you should stay 600 yards away from, minimum, <laughs> if you want to keep your dates connected to your palm tree, if you know what I mean, yeah, All right, very good. Here is your last quote. There's still life in these old bones yet, and I certainly couldn't miss it. Now, that was Maria Müller, a 94-year-old German woman who had been declared dead by her doctor, but who Mm. then leapt up and demanded to know the latest news from what sporting event? Uh, The World Cup. Yes, indeed. Apparently, World Cup mania has the power to resurrect the dead. Mm. In news this week, from what we are assured repeatedly is the world's biggest sporting event, Germany renewed its friendly rivalry with neighbor Poland (laughs) (laughs) in a match that ended with Germany not only beating the Poles, but annexing them. (laughs) Britain played Trinidad and Tobago, beating Trinidad, but just tying Tobago... And the U.S. team got its blue and white shorts handed to them by the Czech Republic. Oh, yeah, some Czech fans here, I know. In fact, at the end of the game, the U.S. team was reduced to asking permission to just throw the ball.
7: When people think I'm dead, I hope they won't check by playing soccer to me. I'll just, uh, it won't be enough. No.
6: What would be enough to bring you back from the dead, Rod?
7: Well, uh, if somebody said, you want to go read,
6: (laughs) I might perk up then. Um, So, have you guys been following the first week of the World Cup at all? No. Mm, Not a thing,
7: huh? No. No, not a thing. uh, Yeah, it, yeah. I played soccer once when I was much younger. And every time I was about to kick the ball, somebody else kicked it. And, what's up with that oh yeah it seems, you know, it seems so, hardly fair it's, it's very well, I, I can't watch it I just, every time i watch it i think i just have that sensation of somebody kicking a ball away, away you from know. you yeah with my foot back you know one yeah. foot deep in yeah. the pool of knowledge and the other one
6: right back. when i wake up well i know i'm gonna be i'm gonna be the man who wakes up next to you when i go out I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man who goes along with you. If I get drunk, well, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man
1: who gets drunk next to you. And if I have her, yeah, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to
6: be the man who's heavering to you. But I will walk Dave in Wyoming is uh, joining us now online, too. Dave, how are you? Welcome to the Young am How are you? Good. What's going on? What do you mean by
4: that? We're neocons there. Uh, I'm missing that for some reason.
3: Sure. uh, This... A philosophical group called the neoconservatives, sometimes shortened to neocons, and uh, sometimes we shorten it to neoclowns, they believe in regime change throughout the Middle East to help Israel. I mean, the U.S. for weapons of mass destruction, uh, or perhaps oil, uh, and uh, and global domination. And they wrote this whole thing even before the Bush administration got involved, uh, got elected. A project for a new American century, where they told uh people that they would invade Iraq, then Iran, et cetera, et cetera, and that's what they're trying to do and, and there's like 80 of them in the world,
6: and they have wielded uh, undue for, uh, uh, and and an amazing influence on American foreign policy since September 11th. And the, and actually, what Robert was talking about was in the project for mm-hmm. a new American century, which is there, which is published. And uh, there's no, it's not a secret. They talk about the need for a Pearl Harbor-like event that will enable us to sort of take on the uh, the, the actions that uh, that would enable us to sort of have the regime change that they seek throughout the Middle
3: East. By League. the way, the people who signed that document are Dick Cheney, Don Rumsfeld, Paul Wolfowitz, Doug Feith, all the people who brought Jeb, you to Iraq. Jeb Bush. I was going to say
4: Jeb Bush was included
3: Lynn as well. Cheney as well. So go ahead, Dave.
4: Okay, my only comment, and I'll listen for your words afterwards, you guys are the most ignorant fucks
3: in all right. Well, awesome. Uh, well, that's a rather ironic comment, if you ask me. But yeah, was this I, the same I love guy that. that started out so polite about the neocons? Yeah. yeah. No, no. He's like, so what? What the hell's a neocon anyway? So we explained to him. Oh yeah, you're ignorant, <laughs> <laughs> Dave. Who doesn't love you, man? Because yeah. you make our job so easy. You're good people. You're making the country <laughs> proud, Dave. Thank you,
1: Dave. What's a redneck? This is Joel Pike from The Young Turks, and you're listening to us on the Best of the Left podcast. Catch the entire show live at theyoungturks.com.
0: March 8th, 2006. Hey, Paul. Thanks for playing the promo on your show. I definitely saw a little boost in the numbers. I must say, though, I was surprised that you didn't bother to mention that you helped inspire the idea for the show. You didn't forget that, did you? Have a good one. Jay. Jay. Uh, shit. When was that? Paul. Paul. I mentioned it in the first email I sent you about the show. I said that a big part of the idea I got was from when you talked on your show about, quote, what if somebody created an RSS feed and put in a bunch of content that they liked, then, if you trusted that person's taste, you could just subscribe to their feed and get all that content, unquote. Or something to that effect. And that's what gave me the idea for the best of the left. J. J. Oh, wow. Did you tell me that before? That's awesome. I think I'll have to mention that on the next show. Our sponsorship with HBO was only for four shows anyways. Paul. Hey, Paul. As I've said before, I really do listen to about seven hours of podcasts each day. Unfortunately, I still fall behind on non-political shows. Last time I emailed you to thank you for the plug, I hadn't even heard your most recent show and had no idea that you played my promo twice and actually talked about it in the show. You guys are too good to me. Maybe one day I will actually have the status to return the favor. Jay. (laughs) Ha We'll hold you to that, Jay. Since you're in promotion mode, do you see a maximum size you can reach on the horizon? That is, before you start getting cease and desist letters from Sirius and Air America? I'm just wondering. I don't know that those two wouldn't just look at your show as more free promotion for their paid services. Paul. After looking into the murky waters of fair use copyright law, I have loosely determined that a lawsuit against me wouldn't be a very strong case, especially because I'm not trying to make any money off of them. Yet. I don't think they would try it anyways, seeing as I'm trying to boost their ratings and not compete with them. I have actually already been in talks with the kind folks over at the Young Turks, and they really like the idea of my show. Even though they don't feel threatened by me, I have offered them a preemptive olive branch by giving them a few seconds of free ad time on the show a couple of days per week. So now they're in the process of producing a couple of short spots for me to run. If all that goes well, I plan to make the same offer to Air America. I would rather they know who I was and know I'm on their side than to have them find me and think I'm a competitor. By the way, I don't blame you for not being able to stop talking about wasting time at work. I can't get enough of those guys. They have the exact sense of humor that I have been using for years to baffle anyone who will listen. Have you checked out pbump.net or the fake fact of the day? That stuff's genius. Jay. If
5: you guys got a hippiesympathizer.com? <laughs> one of the things I will play at the end of the show today is a promo from our friend uh, Jay. And he does a new show called The Best of the Left Podcast. And I just emailed him and I said, like, hey, Jay, I'm like listening to these shows constantly. I can't believe how hard you work, you know, because he's yeah. putting like, one up every day. But it's basically like the best of lefty radio shows. It's like he'll cut out like um, Rachel Maddow.
0: Yeah, so he's got to like listen best... to like nine hours of shows all day long. Yeah, and, and
5: apparently take... he's able to do that. So, yeah, wow. but it's That's really amazing. awesome.
0: Yeah, cool. Well, check it out.
5: Mm-hmm. So, anyway,
3: <laughs>
0: all right, I think I'll take you... over because <laughs> this is like, ooh. And with those inspiring and heartfelt words, an audience was born.
3: Why listen to the P.K. and J. Show? Well, did you ever try to, to your without it first?
1: Why listen to the P.K. and J. Show? Because one guy
5: thinks that Jeanette's voice is the sexiest in podcasting. Why listen to the P.K. and J. Show?
0: Because the P.K. and J. Show is not watered-down, corporation-approved, mass-produced, clear-channel crap that makes you want to eat your shirt. PK&J.
5: Defective as I am.
0: You know, somebody in my car, but but I think it's okay. I I, I, I tasted it and it's deer. <laughs> this
3: is ridiculous. This
5: madness has got to stop. This has got to stop. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I might as hell.
5: They're
0: going to get their
5: bleached. I can't wait till your parents hear this. Show.
0: What? <laughs> Somebody's <laughs> kind of of bound to be offended. So,
3: um.
5: I, I would definitely have sex with a doll just for just. S and giggles. Yeah. But as far as owning one...
3: You heard it here first. What's your rap?
5: Yeah, what is your rap?
3: You
6: know... What's
5: your
4: strategy? That's a good question. (laughs) I I may need some help on that one.
5: The rap is no rap at all.
4: Unless you totally suck.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Unless you totally suck. Come on. If you totally suck, just don't even get out of bed tomorrow.
4: (laughs) Where's the penis?
5: It only three MPGs. You'd think the mongoloid doesn't get great gas mileage. But who the hell cares? This car is fantastically it's normal. It's normal. Hummer and escalade owners eat your hearts out. It's time to prank phone call our family
3: friends. Prank phone call our family friends. I'm going to listen to it some more too. Check out the PKNJ Show. com.
0: So now that you've heard how it all got started, go to the PK&J show and shower Paul and Jeanette with all of your thanks and praise for inspiring the Best of the Left podcast that you love so dearly. I am not kidding when I say that without them, I don't think that this show would exist. I fully endorse their show. It's one of the few that I actually managed to keep up on. And I hope that you will check them out and uh, and love them as much as so many others already do. So to Paul and Jeanette of PK&J, consider yourselves repaid. Have a good one, everybody.